This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you for joining us on this very special evening. Tonight, we have a broadcast that was mostly pre-recorded last night from the Lab Miami in Wynwood. Our broadcast is called Hashtag SOS, uh, excuse me, Hashtag Venezuela SOS, a special report. Tonight, we'll have interviews with the newsmakers and select journalists who are either in Venezuela or in Miami and calling the shots on what's being published today. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm going to start the pre-record right now. Welcome to a special report from the Only in Miami show. You can find us at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. For this broadcast and for the duration of the events, we've set up a website, www.venezuela.us. That's www.venezuela.us. That tweet wall will show your tweets, your replies, and our tweets as well to support this discussion. This is the Only in Miami show special, hashtag Venezuela SOS. Freedom is not free. It is the obligation of those of us who are free to speak out when people in other countries are deprived of their basic liberties. In Venezuela today, people are unable to peacefully gather to protest the actions of their governments seeking redress in Venezuela today, people are unable to walk the streets safely. In Venezuela today, people are unable to get the basic supplies of life because their government has squandered a, a mass of riches equivalent to that of a Saudi prince or beyond. That is why freedom is not free, and that is why we must speak out tonight on the, this broadcast because the English language media is unaware of the situation in Venezuela, which I attribute to some very unique factors. There has been significant intimidation of the media in Venezuela recently. CNN was kicked out on Friday before being allowed back in. The Miami Herald's Jim Wiss was kidnapped for two days extra legally by the government of Venezuela, only to be later released. These acts of journalism, intimidation, cramped freedom of speech in Venezuela. And in fact, freedom of speech is a figment of the imagination in Venezuela where the government controls all modes of broadcast. Recently, the government cut off the internet to the western frontier areas, leaving more than one million people without communications to the outside world. Nobody really knows what's happening in those areas. Right now, there are student protests in Caracas, very much driven by a almost runaway inflation that I calculate to be at roughly 300% annually, even though it is calculated much lower by official sources. Tonight, we're going to hear from several guests of importance. In no order, you are going to see Alessandra Simeoni, who created the video, The Venezuela Situation in English, which has had over 2.7 million views on YouTube. We will have political consultant J.J. Rendon, 
who was advisor to the last opposition campaign by Capriles in Venezuela. We'll also have Jared Goyette of the Fusion Network. He is their online editor and will be joined by Erwin Arriata Valera. He is the former oil minister of Venezuela, the chief technocrat in the government from 1994 to 1999, who was dismissed by Mr. Hugo Chavez in 2000, uh, 1999 and exiled from Venezuela in 2007. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'd like to welcome Alessandra. Tell me a little bit, what inspired you to create the video, The Venezuela Situation, in English? First of all, hello to everyone who is seeing me. For the first reason, I did it without knowing that it was going to be so viral, my video. But I did it because I still have family there, and I care about them. About them. And I did it with my friend in Gainesville. She's the narrator of the video. And we are here outside. And since we don't have freedom of speech in Venezuela, we decided to make that video for the English speakers who don't know what is going on in our country. Tell me a little bit about life in Venezuela. Was it difficult to find basic supplies like flour, sugar, anything else? Well, when I used to live in Venezuela, um, it was difficult to find the basic needs, but not, not as right now because uh, I moved here three years ago. And in that time, I could find, I mean, holy pepper and flour and stuff like that. But as right now, it's impossible to find stuff and it's worse. Every day is getting worse and worse. So you attended college in Venezuela before you came here. Where are you attending school now? Uh, right now, I'm in Nova Southeastern University, and in Venezuela, I study in Monte Avila University. So what are the big differences between the United States and Venezuela when it comes to your basic personal safety? Well, when I, when I was living in Venezuela, I used to be afraid of driving to the university because I was in my car, afraid of someone stealing my phone or getting kidnapped. And here the difference is like I'm free, I can drive my car without being scared, I can use my phone during traffic and that's the difference in my daily life. Now Venezuela is known for having a black market for currency. Did your family use the black market for currency? Well my family uh, did use the black market because it was impossible. We have Kadivi and of course What's Kadivi? Explain to me that. Caribe is uh, something that the government created to shut down uh, the dollars that we buy. So, for example, in the normal market, you can access, uh, for example, if you want to travel to a place, you can have like um, the minimum amount of dollars. So people have to use the black market to, to access to more, more dollars because it's impossible to be in vacation just with, uh, I don't know, $600. Okay, so tell me this. Um, when you're in Venezuela, why is the, the media not reporting on the story there? Uh, can you repeat the question? Like, why is Venezuelan media not reporting on student protests and anything else that's going on in the country? Well, our TV stations, radios, and newspapers has been taken by the government because they don't want to show the world what is going on in Venezuela. 
as, as an example, I can say I was doing the video and my, my cousin who, li who still lives there, she showed me a picture of what was going on while the protesting were while the protesting were going on, they were they were showing Flipper, the movie Flipper. So is that normal in a country to happen? Like while people are dry, dying on the street, they are showing Flipper. So I don't know what they just don't want to show the world what is going on. They they want to shut down the voice. That's why I'm here and I want to show the world what is going on. Well, we appreciate you coming out here, and we appreciate you making a video that over 2 million people have seen on YouTube to date. So tell me a little bit about coming from there to here. What would you say is the biggest change for you as far as just day-to-day -day life between Venezuela and My big change, it was leaving my family there because, I don't know, the Venezuelan culture, we are like very, we are very huggy, and I miss that part of my, my country. That's the, the most difficult thing. I mean, I, I'm here with my family. Uh, some of my friends are here without their family. And that's what we miss the most, our people. Our, 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 yeah. I understand. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, just scoot over for a second. We're going to have some more guests come in, all right? I'd like to welcome Jared Goyette to the show. How are we doing? I think we're good. So, Jared, you're the online editor of Fusion TV. Well, there's uh, I'm one of a few online editors. Uh, there's me, there's Miranda Grossman, there's Nary Annette, um, and um, yeah, we've been we've been covering the um, the Venezuelan uh, protests since they've started. We have um, over the last week we've had a correspondent uh, in Caracas doing regular updates, often live, either for us or for ABC. Um, and it's um, you know it was an issue, it was a situation where we had uh, the opportunity to get people on the ground quickly. Uh, we have a bureau in in Caracas, and uh, we felt that we had you know as a media organization a, a chance to, to cover the story in a, in, in, in a unique way, and we've been trying to do that. So your website is fusion.net, correct? Correct. And what will we find there as far as stories on Venezuela today? Well, as starting. Um, starting tomorrow, actually, uh, starting tomorrow, we're going to be um, doing uh, daily uh, video updates embedded with the protest movement. Uh, we're, just, we're, just, we're just working on that before I came here. And tomorrow morning, um, you're going to see the first of a series of those. Um, we also see the regular updates that Mari Mari Mariana Atencio has done, as well as uh, continuous streams of op-eds from different sides of the spectrum. So... With these op-eds, are we talking about both sides of the story? Are we getting uh, opinions from the government side as well as the protest side? You know, I think so far we've been uh, we've been covering the protests, and I think that we need you know there's a there's a challenge of of, of getting um, I, I, honestly I think that's part of the reason why media organizations have somewhat shied away from the story because it's a difficult. Um, it's it's a difficult story to tell as as far as understanding both sides and portraying it fairly. We've been um, we've been uh, so far. I would describe our coverage as more raw and immediate. And as we deeper into it, we'll be able to contextualize more. So, how many uh, reporters do you have on site right now? Are they like just? 
freelance or are they fusions reporters? Do you guys have your guys down there? We've had the Mariana Atencio there as fusion staff last week, and then we're, we're building out a network of, of correspondents. Like I said, you'll... Well, I know you guys are a fairly new network um, as, as organizations go, maybe a year, year and a half old now. Yeah, and as a you know, editorial operation, I think we like launched on October 28th. Um, so we we are fairly new, um, but this is an issue we've we paid attention to, and I think you can see that in the in the output of stories we've done, and we'll do. So you've been following all of the news coverage extremely closely. From what you've seen, do you believe that the freedom of speech for regular Venezuelans is being curtailed at this moment? Um, I, I think in you know in, in cases uh, that's. There's a lot going on here. I mean, the short answer to that is, is, is no. I mean, I think you, um, you have both the, the intimidation of, of media, which I think is a, which Mariana Atencio has done a documentary on as far as how the government has pressured and, and bought out Global Vision, which took out a dissonant voice. Um, you've also had a somewhat murky relationship between the official forces and the, um, these paramilitary-like groups, um, which have been responsible, uh, report, allegedly, for some of the intimidation that has occurred um, of protesters and some of the violence. So these paramilitary groups, they are actually, uh, they're not military, they're not affiliated with the government, but you're talking about the groups that are Chavez supporters, is that is that current correct? Yeah, I'm talking about the groups that were modeled after this militia in Iran, and I think that's... Uh, that's a part. Another aspect of the story that's sort of murky and, and difficult to to tell well, and I think that's part of the reason why um, media has kind of stayed away from it because it's not so it's not clear cut. The lines are hard to define, um, and people, have, I think, journalists need to do a better job of, of explaining exactly how these group works and what the, what the role what the role is. Well, I theorize that there's what I call a double language barrier at play not just the language barrier between English and Spanish, but also the language barrier between Venezuelan Spanish and, let's say, more standard dialects like Colombian Spanish. That the Venezuelan Spanish is very idiomatic. Uh, it, there's a lot of slang. There's a lot of uh, words that don't appear in other Spanish dictionaries. Can you elaborate on the, the quirks and uniqueness of Venezuelan Spanish versus you know, other countries. I think maybe I would need to pass the mic on that one. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can do that, actually. Well, the thing is that we have a lot of idioms, as you were saying. Um, I don't know, our language is unique. We use a lot of uh, words that, uh, for example, Colombians or Argentines, they don't understand. So I think, yes, it's difficult sometimes for the media when we are speaking out loud to understand everything that we are saying. There's, there's a lot of sayings. You know, the, I, I, you hear a lot of, well, this doesn't really translate well. <laughs> yes, when I was making the video, I was trying to translate everything. And I'm making another one that I'm going for. And I was translating what they were saying. And I was like, how can I say that in English? How can I make people in English understand what they are really saying? And, and that's the No, I, I understand. I'm, I'm an English and Spanish speaker and reader. But... You know, occasionally, like, when I need to do it quickly, I'll try to use Google Translate. And what I found is that Google Translate does not understand Venezuelan Spanish. At all. No. 
No, it's. Yeah, it, I agree. Yeah, and I think it leads to uh, a much more difficult story to be reported, even by Miami Spanish language media. I mean, I don't think that that is the every you know country has its as you sort of dig deeper, and if you're talking to not talking to government officials, but talking to people on the street, you're going to get a more you know a more local dialect and. Street, but I'm saying the written language as well is much more idiomatic. Like, there's a lot more. But I, I the, think the, the turns of phrase are not like Colombian Spanish is considered like Midwestern English. It's like a very, like I vanilla standard dialect. I think more like of a teaching a, dialect. I think a bigger issue at play here is that you know this is a new situation that people are used to looking at through old lenses, and uh, or they're just staying away from it altogether. Like, is this part of the old? You know, left, uh, left-right sort of analysis of of Chavez, where there's this, the supporters and defenders, or is this is this something entirely new? And I think um, I think those sort of political questions are more part of the reason why the media hasn't paid as much attention to it. At the same time, Ukraine was happening, um, and the that was a very visual, dramatic story. I wouldn't be surprised that. Um, if Venezuela starts to creep up in the news now more that that there's been a deal uh, in the Ukraine, um, those those things shouldn't be related. But I would expect in the next week or so that it will start to become a bigger news story. So we have a audio report from a telephone call that we collected yesterday. So what's the current situation in your location? Are you having difficulty obtaining basic commodities like food, you know, other staples? Right. Well, we, I actually live right above. My landlords are shop owners. And uh, we all have been through this problem for quite a long time now. I would say at least a year or more in terms of not being able to find the basic commodities. And sometimes they're suddenly available. Like toilet paper is now suddenly very available. Now, are typical Venezuelans afraid to be in the streets in the area that you're at right now? Absolutely not. So where I am right now is in sort of an anomalous situation in the sense that it's very peaceful. I'm not close to the university, but a couple of days ago, and I reported on this uh, for Vatsi, there was a, a fight broke out between supporters of the government and the students there who were anti-government. And somebody was killed, and a student was killed, and was thrown out of a third-story window. And so there is the possibility always of violence lurking around the corner here. But I'm, I have not been privy to it yet. Typical Venezuelans who don't have access to dollars are experiencing a serious loss of erosion of purchasing power. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Well, for example, my wife is a medical doctor. She makes ten to fifteen thousand a month as a doctor at the hospital. And if she were alone, it'd be very difficult for her to survive. Unfortunately, she made a turning in dollars and In your area. Do you feel the presence of the Cuban government via doctors or troops or any other influence? Absolutely not. Uh, I, th- I think it's an overriding concern in the United States. It's not so much so here, or rather it's an interest in, in any sort of uh, Cuban affairs. But I must say that we do have a clinic here, a block away from my house, where I would say maybe half of the medical personnel there 
is Cuba. And so now it's become sort of like natural, normal to be attended by a Cuban doctor. Do you concern yourself that the government is screening your written messages, such as emails and text messages? It is a possible concern, but I'm not, I don't feel paranoid about it right this second. And that, that, that's until I see there's somebody from the government or when the secret police or calls me up and says, well, we need, we need to talk to you. You mentioned secret police. Can you tell me a little bit about the Venezuelan secret police and who they are and what they do? And are they prevalent in your small town? Not that I know of at all. In fact, in, 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 this, in this town, the, the police are, are not uh, a very forceful presence at all, and they certainly don't um, try to stop ordinary citizens like myself. There was a problem um, to, to try to underscore or paint a picture of what's going on here. Um, yesterday, my, my wife, the doctor, was coming back up from Caracas to El Atillo, which is a suburb of Caracas. And she was met, as she was coming into the, to the town, she was met by students with rocks in her hand and who said that she couldn't pass. And she said, well, I'm going to pass. And together, a fourth that person, and she was able to make it home. But we had like two different conversations, one very nervous and the second one quite relieved. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. There have been two statements issued by both the United States State Department and the Venezuelan government had issued a statement on Friday by Danny Glover, the actor well-known from the Lethal Weapon movies. Danny Glover has been a supporter of the Venezuelan regime for many years. He took $18 million from Hugo Chavez to produce a film about Toussaint Louverture in Haiti. The statement from the U.S. Department of State, uh, released on February 15th by John Kerry reads, The United States is deeply concerned by rising tensions and violence surrounding this week's protests in Venezuela. Our condolences go to the families of those killed as a result of this tragic violence. We are particularly alarmed by the reports that the Venezuelan government has arrested or detained scores of anti-government protesters and issued an arrest warrant for opposition leader Leopoldo Lopez, who I might interject, surrendered recently. We join the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Secretary General for the OAS, EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs, and others in condemning this senseless violence. We call on the Venezuelan government to provide the political space necessary for meaningful dialogue with the Venezuelan people and to release detained protesters. We urge all parties to work to restore calm and refrain from violence. Freedoms of expression and peaceful assembly are hu universal human rights. They are essential to a functioning democracy and the Venezuelan government has an obligation to protect these fundamental freedoms and the safety of its citizens. Now, Mr. Glover's statement is a little bit different. This statement was issued directly to me by his publicist. We did request that Mr. Glover personally appear on this show via remote or telephone call. However, he was personally unavailable and filming on location. This statement was released through the official website of the Venezuelan government in the United States, their embassy. A call to Americans to support nonviolence and democratic institutions in Venezuela from Danny Glover. Quote, returning violence for violence multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of...
Martin Luther King. As a citizen artist, I have always assumed the responsibility to take public positions on difficult and controversial domestic and foreign affairs issues that challenge honest people of principle to find positive negotiations to, just, to justly resolve passionately held opposing positions. In this context, I urge my fellow, fellow citizens to join me in calling for a stop to the violence now perpetuated by some disgruntled sectors of Venezuelan society and foreign supporters. I firmly believe that honest and passionate debate is indispensable to progressive participatory democracy. Please take a stand and communicate with your networks, the media, and the U.S. State Department. Resorting to indiscriminate violence inflames passions to the point of incivility and assaults the highly acclaimed, transparent, fair, and democratic process that Venezuela has been perfecting for a decade. Neither Venezuelans nor foreign governments or citizens should attempt to supplant through violence or manipulation the electoral will of the Venezuelan majority. I urge citizens of the United States, United States government to stand with the 33 countries of the community of Latin America and Caribbean nations in their support of the Venezuelan government and the constitutional democratic measures by which they manage the self-determination of their country. As citizens of the Americas, uh, we and our government should support the recent resolution of Latin America and the Caribbean to be a region of peace and non-interference in sovereign affairs. Join me and millions of others inside Venezuela, across Latin America and the Caribbean, and around the world to call upon the perpetrators and supporters of public violence against the elected Venezuelan government to cease and desist with violence and all non-electoral means to overrule the majority electoral voices of the Venezuelan people. I mean to point out that this is a very ironic statement. And to call Venezuelan elections highly acclaimed, transparent, and a fair democratic process, I believe tells you the tenor of this statement. Joining us this evening is J.J. Rendon. J.J. Rendon was political consultant to the Capriles campaign, the last opposition campaign to Nicolas Maduro, the current president of Venezuela and perpetrator <coughs> of this crackdown on the student uprisings today. J.J., thank you for being on the show. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your involvement in Latin American politics in general. Yeah, I'm working as a political strategist for the last almost 30 years. Yeah, I run campaigns all over from Mexico to the Rio Bravo to the Patagonia. I've been um, working in like 30, 30 presidential races. We won 26, we lose three, and we got stolen one. And, and which Capriles one was one. stolen? I believe the Capriles one. We won, and the system denied us to, to, to have a recall or a review of the election. And um, nothing. And besides that, my job, I'm a, a strong um, activist uh, with the opposition. And I, what I mean opposition, I mean not partisan opposition. I mean the Capriles situation of those four months was another way to add in my position of helping Venezuela. But anyway, I'm uh, doing this for the last 14 years, and I'm be, been, I have been very blamed and prosecuted by the government that, uh, and so deeply that I don't have even nationality or passport right now. Well, you're originally from Venezuela. I'm originally from Venezuela, and, and uh, a legitimate president, Nicolás Maduro, denies, uh, nullify my passport and declares me countryless. So I'm countryless right now because he says so. So you're a man without a country right now. Right now, yes. Now, if I have it in my heart, but I mean, <laughs> I don't have the papers. You don't have the papers? No. When was the last time you were allowed in Venezuela? Uh, 2004. 
And and where have you been since then? Um, I was working and traveling all, all over, but I was fighting the same forces in every country. We fight against the their supporters and their partners in Mexico. We did that the same in Argentina. We're helping the opposition all over. And um, our fight with Maduro um, became noticeable with the presidential election, but when he was foreign affairs minister, we were having encounters on side by side. He delivering money from the regime, inter having an intervention in other countries' electoral processes, and uh, myself and my team working to help <laughs> other countries who don't get into the same situation of Venezuela to stop the spreading of this disease. Now, one of the things that we've spoken about is inflation. What would you say the effect of inflation is in Venezuela today on these protests? And the main thing about inflation and other problems is this, this is an organic situation. When, when we say um, the, the government uh, is being put up against the ropes by the opposition, in reality, if you check the polls today, 87% of the population, of the Venezuelan population, it's against the government right now. So Danny Glover can say that uh, Maduro won the election, whatever. I think he stole the election. But let's suppose for a second that he won the election for like one point. Sure. Okay, let's, 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 let's suppose that. that it was a fair and okay. free election. Okay, so that means that And by the way, they stopped the recount of yeah, this yeah, election, they, did they not? Yeah, they promised it and they stopped it later because if they opened the boxes to count the votes. And what what was the margin of victory for the Maduro one, campaign? One point. One percent. So one percent. Less than one hundred thousand votes. One hundred twenty-four thousand. In in a country of twenty-five million people. Twenty twenty-seven, twenty-six, let's say. But anyway, I was trying to make a point. Eighty-seven percent doesn't include the partisan opposition. It includes people that were supporting Chavez before Maduro arrives. So we are seeing more and more every day people in the street fighting against that. So when Danny Glover said we need to respect, or Venezuela need to respect the, the voting, that was last year, my friend, in April. After that, all, all the policies of the government were wrong and wrong and wrong. And people are against, are done with this kind of ruling, the way of ruling. So it's not about elections anymore. It's about how is the country. You know that we have 25,000 people got killed last year so 25,000 people 25, in a country 000. of 25 million. Yeah, and we have 250,000 in the last 14 years, so almost 15. Well, I, I've heard that 90% of murders in Venezuela go uninvestigated. 99%. 99%. 99%. Not all. Not all. <laughs> they don't go to try. No, not under even investigation. Right. Well, I, I think it points out the absurdity of the official numbers that five protesters have been killed in this violence when, when 60 to 70 people are murdered every single day in Venezuela, yeah. and many of them for political reasons. Some weekends we have like over 100 just in the capital city, Caracas. So if you, if you put that, the entire production uh, of the uh, food and the chain of, uh, of supplies is done. You don't find even toilet paper. Add to that the inflation, the devaluation of the currency. And then... Um, well, I'll tell you that, uh, I, as I used to know it, the black market in Venezuela existed to buy dollars for yeah. twice the official exchange rate. Yeah. 
Now it's 10 times more. Yeah, well, uh, George just reported a few minutes ago, it's 12 times. Yeah. And, and he said that every 15. single time it, it keeps increasing. Yeah, yeah. Well, at 12 times over the last two years, if it's going from two times to 12 yeah. times, that's 600% inflation over the course of the last two years. Yeah. And, the, and the, as dictators do, they think that controlling prices will solve the thing or controlling the sale of the currency will solve the thing. And that only increased to the black market and also to the black market of goods. Because if you don't let the people recover with the profit to increase their business and put goods again on the chain of distribution, what is going to happen that people will keep their their production and then sell it when it's convenient. That's the market, how the market's rules. Well, also, they keep spending as fast as possible. And corrupt it. Because if you don't spend the money today, it's worth literally less money tomorrow. Yeah. And and 300%, that means that in a day, your money is worth 1% less the following so day. So we are into hyperinflation. But, right, but in a month, now. you lose 30%. Yeah. That's that's a huge amount of purchasing power. And that's not Capriles or Leopoldo Lopez or Maria Corina Machado Fall. That's not the American, the United States. That has nothing to do with an election. It has to do with the way you are trying to solve a crisis that you are increasing the crisis and the people, when the people get done with something, they, they are done. Well, uh, to me, the elephant in the room is the man who's not here today, Hugo Chavez. He's the one that set these policies. Can you tell us a little bit about the effect that his policies of expropriation are having on the, the Venezuelan economy and, and how that relates to these uprisings? Yeah, I do. The government of Venezuela didn't respect any kind of uh, private property and uh, during the last 14 years they stole property from companies and uh, you cannot believe how that destroy the infrastructure of our production so at the end of the day we don't have today we have less because the company they took over they closed it down because they cannot rule it too they cannot manage those companies so that the uh, the uh, the uh, corruption the corruption uh, that is the biggest uh, considered by by a lot of um, different measures the biggest one in in one of the three biggest one in the planet and uh, the lack of uh, understanding how to rule so at the end of the day these guys were the inefficient guys the Chavez were complaining during the last 14 years. So we are being ruled for the wars of the Chavez group. Well, uh, you know, most dictators do not like to have opposition even inside their camp. Yeah. And, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why we're, you know, in an era where you have a bus driver as the president of Venezuela. I don't mind, I don't mind uh, having a bus driver as president if the person gets ready to rule, really. I don't mind having a person with no studies if he has a good heart and know how to rule and surround himself with good people that can do it. I'm not judgmental about where he come from because I come from from uh, a, a poor neighborhood, a regular normal income family, and you can, um, what do you call, succeed, even coming from that part of uh, of a society. But uh, it's so irresponsible to take position and step forward to rule a country without knowing how to do it. And right now, the, the war is looking at them, and it's incredible that Danny Glover again talking about the international intervention 
in Venezuela, when in reality, human rights are not just for Venezuelans. They are being called human rights because they are human. So if you break the, the bill of human rights in Venezuela, everyone will look at you. And you cannot, because you close the media, stop the, the social media to, to let the planet and everyone knows about. Well, that's a big part of what's going on there. They're cutting off the internet for the western frontier. Can you tell me a little bit about the western side of Venezuela and why that's strategically important? That's at the border with Colombia. Yeah, because we have there, Venezuela and Colombia, it's like 2.5 million people that cross the border regularly, and they have both, both nationalities. And uh, we receive goods from Colombia, and we deliver them sometimes with contraband about the frontier. But that's an open hole for the regime. The front of Venezuela is water. The other side is the Amazonia. The Amazonia. So mm -hmm. the only part that we can receive or help or um, logistic from Venezuelans from the other side. From Colombia. But they are also Venezuelans. So they say Colombians. No, they are, they are binational reality in that, in that part. Right. Well, I, I've heard that many of the leftist guerrillas that were Colombian entered Venezuela, but there's also a lot of talk about Cuba's influence in Venezuela. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the possible outside influences? In reality, United States, Cuba, and Russia signed an agreement in 1957. Um, this was a non-intervention agreement. And with the presence of Cuban armed forces in Venezuela, they controlling our armed forces, they, they broke that agreement. So we already have presence of foreign military in our country, and those are Cuban. So is there another foreign presence? Is there any foreign presence really helping the, the students no. in Venezuela? No, and uh, what you see that looks some, in some way disorganized, messy or chaotic, is the result of people doing things organically. There is no CIA or government or any group, even a partisan group, even me, no one behind this. It's like a, the natural reaction from people for, from people to a, a messy government that is ruining the country and killing people. Well, I think that's the most important point, that this is not a revolution about politics, yeah. even though the regime tends to cast it as a revolution about politics and saying that this is, you know... A, a, Director Oliver Stone, he's another United States-based, uh, Hollywood-based director who saddled up to the, the regime. He said that the people that are protesting today are sore losers. But, but at least they are not in the payroll of the government. <laughs> I mean, because it's so easy to say that if you got checks from the government. You know, I, I say it so many times, and I, I, I got approached by them several times. Why you don't work for us? I say, there is no money on the planet that can make me have a coffee to advise you on any of these policies that destroy my country. So it's so easy to live in L.A., receive a check. And by the way, Danny Glover, with that $18 million that he received, he didn't deliver one piece of the film that he's supposed to yet. So we don't know where the money comes from. We don't have accountability in Venezuela. The president can't give money away, and not, there is no control of that. We don't know where our gold reserves are. Can you imagine that? So if you see the cartels of the Supreme Court, it's just a, a, a facade of the 
Supreme Court. We don't have no one there that really uh, control the other power. Right. Uh, there's a National Assembly in Venezuela. What power does it have? Nothing. They receive orders. <laughs> they receive orders. And when they, we don't have that. So, they, I mean, we're talking I, I about a, a name of that. I put a name of that. My name is almost over. I was so creative doing that name, you know, because yeah. you want to put a name. So you say, it's not dictatorship because we don't have military on the street. That was a month ago. Okay. And I want to put a name. It's called Neo Totalitarism. So I went to the UN. Neo Totalitarianism. Yeah, conference, and I explained that to the Americans and other public. Oops, my name is almost over. Because you, when you do the neo-totalitarianism, you don't have institutions, you don't respect, um, you, you rule, uh, you run a you're, lot you're of talking about, you know, it, That's one of the things that makes the United States unique, that you have the rule of law. Yes. But in Venezuela right now, right now it's the rule of we man. We cannot talk about neo-totalitarianism. Maybe in other countries that are spreading the first, the version 1.0 of the model, but right now, we are, they, I think they are moving very fast to be called a dictatorship and a genocide. genocide. Well, we've talked about the lack of personal security in Venezuela, the murders, yeah. the, the protesters being shot, beaten, and this is on YouTube. Shot by the, on the back while running on arm. I mean, how you can call that? Well, I wanted to ask you one last question. Yeah. Are you concerned for your personal security living here in Miami? Yes. And why? Because um, <laughs> you have here against the Cubans, G2 intelligence people following them, but especially with us. In our case, I know that there is people coming here to the United States to check in every opposition leader that already flee a political asylum or is displaced to the United States right now. Because in reality, all the people that are outside of Venezuela, we are still feeling our country and trying to help our, our fellow Venezuelans there. So in a way, they will try to stop us, even um, preparing like cases against us in U.S. soil. They will try to do that. Or if someone is requesting political asylum, they delay it or try to see how they can deny it. Especially because we don't have the regular relationship between Venezuela and the United States. So imagine about taxes, for example. You can't do it, right? No, people are paying taxes here. Okay, sure. Can they collect? Not now. But they will try? Yes. Imagine the best part just about the Venezuela money that came here, that's paying taxes here, that, that is not declared there. Well, so I, I think everybody in South Florida is aware of the result of the embassy closing or the consulate closing in Miami, that Venezuelan expatriates are not able to vote anymore either. I mean, cases works. I have a, um, a case in Venezuela that opened against me last year. I need to, to give up a power of attorney to have a, a little defense there. So, I so wait, to they, the embassy. they have charged you in absentia. Yeah. In Venezuela. Yes. For something that supposedly happened in Panama, case that they made, paying someone to go to the police and say that, and that case was dropped. It's proven that it's dropped. But to stop the case in Venezuela and the request for the Interpol that they did, that it doesn't exist, I need to, to uh, give a power of attorney to someone that I cannot do because that guy is supposed to be approved in an embassy that I cannot step in the embassy because I was declared 
Persona non grata. No, right. Worse than that. I don't have. I can't relate. Wow. So thank JJ, you for having me. Thank here you your very much for joining and, us. Uh, thank <clears> you for helping. And at least raising awareness. I think it's very important to raise awareness. And for those of you at home, you can follow JJ on Twitter at JJ Rendon. J-J-R-E-N-D-O-N. This is the only In Miami show. We're here live with Erwin Arriata Valera, the former oil minister of Venezuela from 1994 to 1999. Erwin, thank you for joining us on the show this evening. It's my pleasure to Please, for the audience, tell us a little bit about your career for just one minute in Venezuela and how you became the oil minister of Venezuela in the 1990s. Well, I was originally petroleum engineer in, in uh, working for a company, uh, oil industry, and then later on, I went to the petrochemical complex, the general director and uh, general manager of the uh, refinery. So I was uh, realizing, I mean, practicing my career as engineer in my country in the oil industry. Later on, I took, um, I was um, uh, appointed as a general director also of uh, uh, CVP and became at the end of the uh, I served in, in, in CBP, uh, Minister of Energy and Mines, uh, in, 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 in Venezuela, in the government of President Rafael Caldera, during five years, 1994, 1999. Right. So you served for basically five years. And at the end of the term, you worked for Hugo Chavez, is that correct? Yes, yes, sir. But Mr. Chavez dismissed you from office. Can you tell us a little bit about why Mr. Chavez dismissed you from the office of oil minister of Venezuela? Of course, he wanted to name uh, his people, but the cues that he said, uh, he, he brought to the attention of people, was uh, he accused me as a traitor of the nation due to the policy that I applied, I implemented when I was minister previously. Uh, it was the oil opening. I implement the uh, oil opening policy to uh, the the public private partnership policy is that correct yes to 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 participate in the business now i've I've heard that that was a very common practice at the time. Were there other countries that were implementing the private uh, public private partnership for their national oil oil ventures yes but before that there was a a, a company that which was uh, called Petróleo de Venezuela, was a government uh, company, uh, and then uh, mixed companies with Petróleo Venezuela and, and private uh, investors, several small and medium companies uh, associated as a mixed company. So when I, when I became uh, minister, the, the oil industry, they said that it was nationalized. Actually, to me, it was not a nationalization. It's what I called, I don't know if it exists in English, a certification. Okay, so, so, well, say that, state. repeat that for us. You call it a, a what? A certification. <laughs> okay. You know, because I was a state. Right, and okay. To, to become a nationalization, my thesis was that the nation has to participate, the nation, and what the nation is state plus the, 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 the habitants, the private. So that's the reason I call 
the private to invest in 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 the oil industry uh, and that's what they call oil opening but also not only the private uh, the Venezuelan private but also the foreign private like the Chinese did you know the, the policies the successful the successful uh, oil policy of Chinese have been just precisely to have called the private investors to the energy sectors and they, they got uh, they multiplied by seven the oil potential production so so bringing in the private companies was a good way to increase oil production even though they would get part of the profits perhaps you would produce more oil correct yes i mean the the, 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 the private actually they invest and become as an owner not owning the, the assets but as an owner running the, the company by themselves and of course paying taxes and paying whatever the, the, the you know the official uh, obligations uh, so would you say that the current regime is not extracting oil for the best uh, uh, in the best way or for the best result for the Venezuelan people like, are they squandering the oil fortune that Venezuela uh, has accumulated? You wish okay to repeat that question regarding the, the, uh, what, what do you mean by that? Like, is the Venezuelan government wasting money that they're collecting from oil revenues? <laughs> yes. Yes, no question about it. Not only from, from the oil industry, but any, any income, extra income at the end. The money is in their hand. If the government is not a good man, is not managing in a, in a good faith the money, so that's the results. Regardless who is the owner, who is the operator, you know, it's a matter of how to administrate without corruption uh, or the very well faith the, uh, as far as administration um, is concerned, the, the, the income. Can you tell our audience a little bit about the quote-unquote democratic institutions of Venezuela? What does the National Assembly of Venezuela actually do? We only have a minute left. They just follow what their boss, the president of Venezuela, uh, when there was Chavez, he pointed, he he decided decided to name, he appointed them by fingers. His friends. So at the end, the Congress, which is the National Assembly, uh, is uh, following the instruction given by who named them. And that's the problem that in, in my country there is not the traditional divisions of the power, like in the democratic, democratic uh, nations are here, for instance, in the United States, that they have the Congress, they have policies, uh, autonomy regarding the, the executive power, which is uh, the, the capital, you know, the White House. Yeah, Miraflores, the, the Venezuelan uh, president's palace, yes, correct? Yes, yes. Well, Mr. Ariata, thank you very much for joining us on the show tonight. And I hope that everything works out for you. We've talked quite a bit in the run-up to the show. We've really worked hard to produce a Venezuela SOS broadcast to inform our audience from the inside and the outside, what is going on today with the uprisings in Venezuela. When we come back at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we'll play that promised Andrew Rosati interview. In addition, in the 8 o'clock hour, we have Estrella Sibila from Philanthrofest. 
You can find her at PhilanthroFest on Twitter. She's going to be on here with some of her nonprofits, and we're going to be discussing their upcoming Digital Networking Institute seminar. This is a special report, Venezuela SOS, by the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find us at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And if you'd like to, there's a complete video cast, a complete webcast on YouTube featured on the top of the webpage, www.onlyinmiamishow.com. We'll be back at the top of the hour in just a minute. reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication. If you or someone you care about has diabetes or pre-diabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the internet. Diabetesfree11.com. People who have followed this plan at diabetesfree11.com reportedly have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetesfree11.com is a natural drug-free approach for reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetesfree11.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetesfree11.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at diabetesfree11.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medications. Go to diabetesfree11.com. For men, it's all about testosterone. As you age, testosterone levels decline, along with performance, muscle strength, and energy. It shows up at the gym, but you see it most in the mirror. You see that older guy who's put on 20 pounds, lost a step, and lost more than a little muscle tone. She's already noticed. It's not your fault. You owe it to yourself to try a free one-month supply of Enzyte MRC, a male refueling complex to support healthy testosterone levels. Men everywhere depend on Enzyte MRC and how it makes them feel and look in the mirror. Welcome back, big guy. Bottom line, Enzyte MRC is for men who want to refuel that stronger, leaner, healthier, energetic, and masculine man they left behind. Feel the difference with a free 30-day trial of Enzyte MRC. All you pay is shipping. Act now and get a free sports bag with your free trial. Call 800-933-4004. 800-933-4004. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. Free trial requires via life enrollment with future shipments. Writing a Christian book, you're doing an amazing thing, getting it all down on paper. But once you've got the manuscript, then what? Well, you can spend a year or more trying to find a publisher, or you can cut right to the chase. Make your book real with Zulon Press. Finding a publisher is time-consuming and uncertain. With Zulon Press, things are quick and definite. They specialize in one thing, helping Christian authors put their books in print, Zulon Press will publish your book. Zulon Press gets it into bookstores. Your book is on Amazon. Work with Zulon Press and there's no question, you are a published author. If you're writing a Christian book, get your free publishing guide from Zulon Press. Just log on to ChristianPublishing.com. That's ChristianPublishing.com. Zulon Press, book publishing by Christians for Christians. Get your free publishing guide at ChristianPublishing.com. Zulon Press is a division of Salem Communications, the same people who bring you this nifty radio station. Want to know how to get people's attention? Hey! 
Here's how we get people's attention. We talk about how to make more money on your investments. Here at 880 The Biz, we get people's attention by giving them intelligent investment advice. So if you want to get some attention for your business, you'd be smart to advertise with us at 880 The Biz. Call George Guevara at 305-785-8689 and get some attention for your business. Hey! Call George Guevara at 305-785-8689. Action Jackson Law Firm, your personal injury attorney. If you have been injured at work or in an accident, you need to contact us now. If there's no recovery, there's no fee. Motor vehicle accidents, workers' compensation, slip and falls, hit and runs, and more. Legal experience and advice you can trust. Always speak directly with your attorney. Serving Dade and Broward, 305-273-8212, Look, the worst part about business travel is worrying about my wife and kids at home alone. My family's safety is my responsibility. That's why I started researching home security. I called the big alarm companies, checked online, even looked at doing it myself. But the best technology for the best price came from Vivint. Yes, Vivint gives me a complete security system, but their video technology is unreal. I can see what's going on in my home right from my smartphone, tablet, or computer. I can even lock the doors remotely if my kids forget. Best yet, I got Vivint's no equipment costs and free install deal. $1,300 worth of camera and security equipment at no charge. Vivint was the easy choice for my family's safety. Take control of your family's safety with Vivint. Order now for up to $1,300 in security equipment at no charge. Just pay as little as $99 for activation. Plus, call now and installation is free. Call 1-800-236-7081. That's 1-800-236-7081. 1-800-236-7081. Restrictions apply. Up to 60-month agreement at minimum $49.99 per month. Not available in Louisiana. See Vivint.com for license numbers. WZ. ZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications, on the NASDAQ as SALM. And welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We've got a special report tonight. Hashtag Venezuela SOS. Continuing, we have an interview with Andrew Rosati, an independent journalist who is located in Caracas and covering the student protests. He's been published in the Miami Herald recently, and he's published in numerous publications. You can find him on Twitter at Andrew Rosati. Tell me a little bit about the current situation in the capital of Venezuela tonight. It's calmed down a lot in the capital. I mean, there's been a there's been protest today after a mass march that was held by the opposition protesting the uh, the jailing of a opposition leader, Leopoldo Lopez. Tens of thousands of people marched through the city today, uh, demanding his release and to protect their constitutional right to protest. What would you say the effect of inflation and economic troubles is having on the region today? I mean, it's a major driver of these protests. People constantly uh, cite that's one of the reasons they're taking the street. Uh, uh, there's over 56% inflation here, and there's a lot of shortage of basic goods, like milk, sugar, and even toilet paper. And it's really, um, besides an annoyance in everyday life, it's fueling one of the reasons people are coming out to the streets. 
Have you experienced a blackout of the internet or loss of social media services during these uprisings? No, I have not. Um, the reports that have happened, I can't tell if that was just because the heightened traffic in these days and where the internet has been, been seriously blocked or in the western border region near Colombia, in the Apache, in the capital Caracas, I have not encountered that problem. Is the Venezuelan government sending in troops to break up protests at this time? In the capital, it's mainly the, the city police and the National Guard that are trying to defuse the situation with the protesters. However, in the western state of Pachita, which I mentioned before, where the internet was blacked out or reports that were happening, the government has sent in a battalion of paratroopers to help contain the protests. And we're back live. I'd like to present some closing thoughts to you, the listening audience. I've been reporting on this story for the last week, and I've spoken with numerous sources, people that we haven't been able to bring on the air to you tonight, and other journalists, influencers, people inside Venezuela, inside Miami, and across the country, because Venezuelan people are in the United States in a very, very solid number. They play baseball for your major league teams. They're your graphic designers. They don't just live in Doral. They're everywhere. And what's most important about my conversations with them is that it always boils down to one thing. They miss their home country. They miss being able to travel home to see their families, to see their loved ones, and to see their loved ones suffering from afar is silently eating at many of these people. I hear the stories about the family members who fly to Miami just to load up suitcases with basic goods and necessities. People that are unable to even cook an arepa or get toilet paper when they need it. These uprisings are not a political phenomenon that I can tell. There's not a single reporter, journalist, blogger, person on Twitter who I've spoken with personally that has said anything about an election anything about politics. This is about human rights in Venezuela. Venezuelans, their human rights are being violated every day. Their freedom of speech is being violated. Their right to be nourished is at risk by a government that collects billions of dollars in oil revenue every single year and has for decades. It's an atrocity. It's an atrocity that's being perpetuated on these people at this point. It's nothing to do with politics. I would tell you this, the listener. The reason why this show is vigilant and reports on Venezuela when nobody else is really doing an adequate job of it is because this could be you. Miami show is brought to you by Morningside Mortgage. For more information, check them out online at www.morningsidemortgage.com.
Dr. Gigi's Raise Me Up Foundation presents Back to the 80s Freestyle Gala. Come dressed in your 80s best. Saturday, March 8th at the Palmetto Bay Village Center. Featuring live performances by Rudy Gill, Cynthia, and Johnny O. Dr. Gigi's Raise Me Up Foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides free programs and services to special needs children in the South Florida community. For ticket information, call 305-552-1200. That's 305-552-1200. This. this is the only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you for joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed our hashtag SO, uh, Venezuela SOS special. You can find out more about the show, and you can watch the original video cast from last night at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. But right now, we have Estrella Sevilla from PhilanthroFest joining us live in the studio. Thanks for being here tonight, Estrella. Thank you, Grant. Thank you for having me. Glad you could make it again. Thank you. Thank you. I know we're going to switch the tone up a little bit. I think it's, it's time to change gears tonight. It's been a very serious, serious episode, but I think it's worth it. Absolutely. So... Tell us a little bit about Philanthro Fest. Tell us about what is a civic engagement festival and why our audience needs to go. Philanthro Fest is all about connecting their people and passion to the community and the different organizations that are already here. I found throughout the last several years working in different nonprofit efforts and just wanting to get involved in different organizations that there's sort of a disconnect between my wanting to get involved and the sort of understanding what the organizations are, who they are, what they're doing, and what opportunities there really are there for me to do something with them. So as we sort of developed this concept for an event, we thought, why not bring together a series of nonprofits, have them have an opportunity to showcase their mission, recruit new donors, recruit new volunteers, and really make it a really special day for the community where we could also have music and dance entertainment, have a kid zone, do some health screenings, make sure that folks in our community are able to get the resources that they need and sort of connect those dots within the community and have people really have an opportunity to not just get involved, but also receive services if that's what they're in need of. Now, I understand that you train nonprofits at PhilanthroFest as well. And that's part of what's coming up this Wednesday at 9 a.m. at the uh, Miami-Dade Wolfson campus. It's called your Digital uh, Networking Institute, correct? Yeah, we host with PhilanthroFest. This is the second one that we're doing. This is our philanthropy, the PhilanthroFest Community Engagement Institute. We had done a previous one last year about connecting on and offline and it was really much enjoyed by the nonprofits, and we found through some data collection that we've been doing with the local nonprofits that they have a substantial need in understanding digital media, learning how to connect better through online platforms, learning how to effectively tell their story so that they can have a better connection to their existing donors and to their volunteer base. So we 
decided, you know, we could have this opportunity to fill this gap for the nonprofits and really bring together some industry experts to provide education, provide training, and create some partnerships with some wonderful companies that are within those spectrums that can help strengthen and man the tool chest, so to speak, for these nonprofits so they could be more effective. Now, a lot of nonprofits do not know how to use social media. Is that a big part of what you guys do? Yeah. You know, our our data, which um, Jessica Higgins, she's a Lean Six Sigma black belt. She's going to be presenting at the Digital Institute as well. But she did some of the data crunching for us. And basically what, what we found was that about as long as nonprofits had a Facebook page, they thought that they had an, an advanced sense of a web presence. And in reality, without in, now that the algorithms have changed on Facebook, they're really not reaching as large of an audience. Now, just to, to point it out for our audience, um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Facebook. Facebook actually filters pretty much everything you see and, and only shows you a small fraction of the posts that any one person or page may make. So a typical page uh, today... It'll be seen by maybe 10% of the page's audience, something like that, 20%. Yeah, that that sounds about right. As organizations went on and and were building their presence and their likes on Facebook, then all of a sudden Facebook changed the game. So, you know, everybody's sort of trying to make adjustments for it. So we're also looking at not just leveraging one platform, but helping organizations understand how they can integrate their efforts so that way they're not constantly having to post on Facebook and then post on Twitter, then put it onto their blog. So we have Wally Benmezian, who's from Web Congress, who's going to be teaching on that, those skills specifically. So that way we don't have all this duplication of effort that might be taking place and really just burdening down these organizations with their strategies. Well, it, it's a, an important point to make that all of these social media networks actually cross post into each other if you arrange it properly. Uh, for example, you can post into Instagram. Uh, which is a, a standalone network that uh, is dominating the under 35 crowd and especially the under 25 crowd these days, you can post into Instagram and from there have your uh, uh, content distributed throughout n- multiple networks, the Tumblr network, Facebook, who of course owns Instagram today, and you can have it put onto Twitter as well as Flickr, which is Yahoo's photo sharing uh, app. So, so you guys actually help people manage this complicated flow of information. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're learning as we go as well. So as we figure out what the stumbling block is and we are able to sort of pull from our list of experts and folks that are really involved in our cause, we're able to then turn that around and create some programming around it and really be able to create some opportunities where we have some of the leading experts that are helping us give them an opportunity to connect with these organizations and have them be a part of a bigger, bigger mission. So some of the things we've done is we've worked with um, a company called Podio and they work with a a sort of, actually you recommended Podio to me, Grant. Really? Well, that's because I work with Podio. I love (laughs) those guys. They're owned by Citrix, by the way. They're, they're what's called a CRM or customer relations management software. And it's uh, podio.com. A little free plug for those guys because they're really cool. So what, well, what's Podio really doing cool, for you? They're really cool, but aside from them being really cool, we've been able to develop a very efficient system to work internally for Philanthrofest and 
the more that I kind of plugged away at creating the apps that help us, I realized there was a great opportunity to bring sort of the Podio concept to other nonprofits so that they could help manage their own events, manage their volunteer lists, and be able to have a better sort of communication flow with these um, or folks that they're meeting at either Philanthrofest or at any of their other events and be able to keep that communication going throughout time. So Podio is now providing um, nonprofits free sort of free workspaces within Podio, which is fantastic. They're also we're working with them to create some training opportunities as well. We have a partnership with Constant Contact that's also affording some substantial discounts for Philanthrofest partners and also additional monthly training sessions, both webinars and in-person trainings. So we're just trying to bring and and facilitate a lot of these opportunities to the nonprofit professionals down here in South Florida so that we could build a stronger, more vibrant, more robust, civically engaged audience down here in Miami. Well, that's that's important. I think that it's important to train people to communicate because in the nonprofit space, one of the most important parts is messaging, right? It's it's not just about the things you do, but you need to be able to tell the story of those things that you do so you can attract donations and expand or scale up the things that a nonprofit is doing, the the good deeds in the community, uh, whether it's teaching people to read or uh, I've seen uh, there was one nonprofit at last year's uh, that I really liked. It was called Food for Thought. And, uh, and it was like, uh, you know, they would teach you about what kind of foods were healthy and not. And they, they, their education was very much for children, but that's very important. I mean, children in this country have a tough time getting educated on what's worth eating. They just get a lot of advertising. Now, I think we've got a call in. We're expecting some of your PhilanthroFest friends to call us in, right, and uh, tell us their philanthro stories. That's right. That's right. That's part of a new campaign that we've been working on, just just sort of encourage folks to share what it is that they're doing in the community and share what sort of passions that it, passions that they have and different ways that they've found to sort of work in that space, share their passion, be able to connect with other people that have the same sort of values and ideas that they do and sort of create a community around the things that we believe in and the things that we care about. So uh, is there a hashtag for this that we need to know about? The hashtag, our official hashtag for PhilanthroFest is just hashtag PhilanthroFest. Our campaign for PhilanthroStory does have that um, individual hashtag. It's hashtag PhilanthroStory, P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-R-O. S T O R Y. All right. It's a long one. <laughs> you know what, though? Philanthro is a fairly easy word to spell. There's not a lot of other words with that root. So, <laughs> so now that we've said it, we, I think we can skip it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've created a whole other language that starts with philanthro, pretty much philanthro everything from philanthro party, philanthro fest, philanthro peeps. So, we've gotten a little excited about that. And there's so much enthusiasm around PhilanthroFest itself that, you know, we just keep creating other opportunities and other channels that just expand on this idea of civic engagement and really giving folks an opportunity to show a little bit more of of who they are beyond just, you know, a job title or a residential area that they live in and really give people sort of a time to shine light on some some more aspects of their personalities and personal desires. Now, we're going to open up the lines here. So if any of our listeners have questions about PhilanthroFest, you're more than welcome to call in. 
We're expecting a couple of philanthro story calls in a few minutes. The phone number is 305-541-2350. You can call into the Only in Miami show and ask your questions about PhilanthroFest, the country's largest civic engagement festival. Again, the number is 305-541-2350. We'd like to hear your calls, your questions, and your comments. Again, please call 305-541-2350. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're here with Estrella Sibila from PhilanthroFest. You can find them online at philanthrofest.com. So, what's your philanthro story? What inspired you to be one of the co-founders of PhilanthroFest? And you can tell us the story of starting PhilanthroFest. Not just your story, but why did you get involved and, and who did you do it with? So, PhilanthroFest started sort of over cocktails and bites with a couple friends and we were all involved in different community projects and really wanted to just sit down and and kick around some ideas of what we were all doing. Liquor or beer? Neither. There were non-alcoholic beverages. Oh, okay. <laughs> just I always ask when somebody says. So, um we we were just sort of kicking around some ideas and um it was James Eccles, myself and Ed Picard. Um, Liana Chanfoni, Carolyn Lamar, and we had gotten together and James had approached us about doing this sort of community festival for nonprofits that was modeled after Fall for the Arts. And Fall for the Arts was something that the Arts Center would put together and it was based on just simply art nonprofits and showcasing what they had planned for their upcoming seasons and really gave the community an opportunity to learn more about the cultural arts organizations. And When James talked to us about it, he said, you know, why don't we do this, but let's do it for all types of organizations. So we, that was, you know, like a late December and by mid-April of that year, we were at the Midtown Green Space and we had about 190, I mean, about 100 organizations that were there and we had about 2,000 people from the community come out and we had a wonderful festival. We had three different bands, we had an art show We had just tons of things that really brought out such an exciting moment for the community. And, you know, we didn't we never expected it to be such a a welcomed and desired piece to the Miami puzzle. But what we realized was that there were a lot of people with a lot of passion and a lot of 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 want and of need as well. And a lot of folks that wanted to come together and see this and learn how they can be a part of the bigger picture. So we have Marsha on the line from SF Cares. Oh, what is, wonderful. What, what's the name of her group? Give us the... That's South Florida Cares Mentoring. They're okay. a mentoring program for minorities in South Florida, but they're actually part of a national organization, and I'm sure that Marsha could tell us more about it. Marsha? Yes. yes. Hi, everyone. It's Marcia. Marcia, Marcia welcome yes. to the show. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm Fantastic. Please uh, tell us a little bit about your charity. Fantastic. South Florida Cares Mentoring Movement is um, it's a mentoring program that provides exposure activities. It provides mentoring, group mentoring services, and also engages youth in South Florida in the arts, in technology, in science, and um, philosophy, actually. So what we do is we're part of a national organization, which is called National Cares Mentoring Movement. 
And National Cares Mentoring Movement was started about seven years ago by Susan Taylor. And Susan Taylor is the editor-in-chief emeritus of Essence Magazine. If anyone knows Essence Magazine, it's been around since the late 60s, and it's a staple in the black community. What Susan did is, after Hurricane Katrina, she noticed that um, the volunteers that were volunteering to help out the um, disenfranchised in Hurricane Katrina were white women, and then white males, and then black women, and then black males. And in that order, were going out to help the youth that were in um, New Orleans. So she said, something has to happen, something has to change, because why is it that black females and black males are the last to respond to their own people? So how did you get involved with South Florida Cares Mentoring? No problem. So Susan actually reached out to South Florida, and she had a couple contacts down here. She reached out to an individual named herself, who's very involved in the philanthropic side of Miami. Um, And Tony gathered a few of her cohorts together, um, and I was one of them, along with our executive director, Tracy Robertson Carter. And um, when she gathered us all in the meeting room, she said, listen, we have to do something. We have to make a difference. We have to make a change in the South Florida community. She gathered us at two schools that are located in Broward County. One is Women Rogers School. The other is Seagull Alternative School. These two schools are primarily African-American, Latino-American. And these students are returning from juvenile detention centers, and they are young, unwed mothers. So what's happening there? There is a crisis that's occurring at these schools. They needed mentoring. They needed people in their lives that care about them, that show them opportunity and show them, you know, what's beyond their limits and their horizons. And so she gathered a group of people and said, let's do something. Let's do South Florida Cares Mentoring so we can impact positive change within that community. Great. So what did you, what is your philanthro story? Tell us a little bit about your involvement with PhilanthroFest. Yes, we love PhilanthroFest. We really do. We were involved for the first year last year. And um, it was very exciting because it's just great to see all the nonprofits that do show up and have the passion and want to change this community. And when we went there, we are trying to really collect and get mentors into our database so we can actually go out and, you know, really create a mentor database that really cares about our our mentors in the community. So what we did is we had about 40 mentors before we went to PhilanthroFest, and 40 mentors for over 200 students that we needed to serve. That wasn't good enough. When we went and actually when we left PhilanthroFest, we had over 350 mentors that signed up because they were at PhilanthroFest. So we had um, politicians, we had doctors, we had lawyers, we had tech people, we had all kinds of just passionate individuals who just wanted to be involved with South Florida Cares Mentoring. And because of PhilanthroFest, we were able to increase our numbers from 40 mentors to 350 mentors in one afternoon. That's incredible, Marcia. Wow. One afternoon. Yes, one afternoon. And, and, And now how many do you have today? So we have around 480 mentors in our database and who are very active, who are not only serving the two schools that I mentioned prior to this, but we are in 10 other schools now, and then we're in four um, different community organizations located here in Miami-Dade County. That is really, really amazing, Marcia. And can you tell us what your website and your Twitter accounts are? Sure, sure. So our website, we are on Tumblr. That's what we use for our website. So we are South Florida Cares Mentoring. 
southfloridacaresmentoring.tumblr.com. southfloridacaresmentoring.tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-R.com. Dot com. That is our website that we utilize. And then our Twitter account is South Florida Cares Mentoring. That's fantastic. Marsha, thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing with us, Marcia. Thank you. Now, we've got Robert on the line. He's from heart-festival.com or HeartFest. Robert? Hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about HeartFest, Robert. We'd love to hear it. HeartFest was the creation of our leader, Kristen Swinehart, whose father was taken from her at a young age because of heart disease. And so this uh, came about uh, with Kristen uh, mentioning it to another member in our BNI Elite Professional Group in Sunny Isles, and it just really took on from there. We all wanted to be a part of this uh, as we have been touched by uh, people in our lives that have had heart disease or people have passed away because of heart failure. So we're trying to bring awareness to our communities to um, raise some money for these charities that are going to be able to help people. That's fantastic. Now, can you tell me, uh, what's your website and your Twitter account? Sure. It's heart-festival.com. Right. I don't remember the Twitter handle off the top of my head, but we do have a Facebook page as well, and you can find that at Heart Festival um, through the Facebook search page. Okay, and I see that you can find your Facebook page and your Google Plus page at heart-festival.com. That's correct. So tell us your philanthro story. Well, this is going to be taking place in um, uh, Mother's Day of this year. thought it was going to be a good time where we could all get together with family and uh, share in you know, each other's uh, experiences. And we're going to have a 5K in the morning. Uh, that's going to be the kickoff. We're going to have music that's going to be able to bring groups of people together, and uh, we're going to be having about a thousand. We're looking to have about a thousand uh, race uh, participants, and then later in the day, uh, up to about five thousand people as well to take part of the rest of Heart Fest, which is going to have live bands, uh, drums, as far as uh, drum circle later into dusk, and we're just going to be able to really have the food vendors speak about the different kinds of food that are good for the uh, for the soul as well as for your heart, and uh, being able to explain a little bit more to the people that come how it is good to eat healthy, it doesn't have to cost a lot, and kind of get rid of some of the things that people say from time to time, like, it's too expensive to eat healthy, or maybe I'll start this later. We want to just engage everybody around us and educate them. Now, tell us a little bit about your experience with PhilanthroFest. In PhilanthroFest, uh, we just ended up finding out a little bit about this through your radio program. And uh, being a part of uh, philanthropy is uh, a passion. What you know, as a business professional, we need to keep us going. And uh, being able to be a part of this great civic organization is going to be able to give awareness to people like us that just really need to get out there and, and spread a good message. Oh, well, we appreciate you calling in and definitely keep in touch with us, connect with us through our different platforms, and definitely join us for the Digital Media Institute. I think there'll be some great opportunities for learning as well and helping you get your message across to the folks that are supporting your organization. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you.
We're going to take a short break right now on the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back. We've got two more Collins with Philanthro Stories. You can follow that on Twitter at hashtag Philanthro Story. This is the Only in Miami show. The Only in Miami show is brought to you by Morningside Mortgage. For more information, check them out online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. His Raise Me Up Foundation presents Back to the 80s Freestyle Gala. Come dressed in your 80s best. Saturday, March 8th at the Palmetto Bay Village Center. Featuring live performances by Rudy Gill, Cynthia, and Johnny O. Dr. Gigi's Raise Me Up Foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides free programs and services to special needs children in the South Florida community. For ticket information, call 305-552-1200. That's 305-552-1200. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're here with Estrella Sibila from PhilanthroFest, and we're taking your calls, 305-541-2350. Again, 305-541-2350. We're here with Naomi. Naomi's yes. on the line. Hey, Naomi, please tell us the name of your charity. All right. I'm currently working with MCCJ, which was first known as the Miami Coalition of Christians and Jews. But since 2011, they've been known as MCCJ. NCCJ. Yes. MCCJ. Yes, MCCJ. M as in Mary. Yes. So what is your website? All right. The website is miamiccj.org. MiamiCCJ.org. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the Miami Co- uh, Miami Coalition of Christians and Jews. All right. So MCCJ's mission is to advance understanding and respect among all cu- cultures, religions, and races. Uh, a lot of programs that they have work with high school youth. They go in and they have sessions on diversity and acceptance of of anyone and everyone, despite their race, ethnicity, gender, age. And um, I've had a, an opportunity to actually participate in some of those programs. Even though I'm not a full-time staff, I'm actually interning with them for my graduate studies. So uh, tell me a little bit about MCCJ's yeah. involvement with PhilanthroFest and your experiences with PhilanthroFest. Well, I have personally been involved with PhilanthroFest. Um, on the back end with planning before. Um, however, I don't believe NCCJ has ever participated. I will definitely encourage them to check it out um, because I know that Philanthropist is a really incredible opportunity for nonprofits to get the word out about what they're doing. Naomi's actually one of our founding group members as well, and she was our head of our nonprofit's communications last year and did a stellar job and 
She's over in graduate school now, so she has less time for us, but more time for the community. And we're really proud of everything that she's doing and really excited for her involvement with MCCJ. They're actually an organization that I personally support with their Metro Town project and making sure that we have opportunities for diversity in the schools and in the programming. So tell me a little bit about your philanthropy story personally, Naomi. Okay, well, um, right now, because I am working with MCCJ, um, I found their story will be about them. They have helped bring an incredible exhibit to the Frost Science Museum called Race, Are We So Different? And they have a lot of programs that are related to that exhibit right now, which includes a film series. And one of my roles with the organization is to help get the word out about the film series. So I wanted to share what's going on with that um, uh, through... January of this year till May of this year, uh, this great exhibit is at the museum, and it's been traveling for a few years, and it finally came to the Miami community. And uh, the purpose behind it is to help visitors understand what race is and what it isn't. And so there have been several films um, that will be screened at the museum in the coming months. One of them takes place on March 5th. And it's in collaboration with History of Miami. It's called Ali, Made in Miami. And there are other films coming up. One is called Dark Girls. One is uh, Parallel Lives. And the last one will take place in May called The Last Survivor. So in addition to having a chance to see a great film, and there's always discussion afterwards, people uh, have some time to go into the exhibit. And it's it doesn't cost a lot, and it's just a great time to hang out in the evening with your friends and learn and and have some great discussions. Well, thank you very much for calling into the show tonight, Naomi. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thank you, great. Naomi. Uh, I think we've got Lance on the phone. Lance, are you here? Vance. Hey, Granite Vance. How are you? Good evening. Good evening, Vance. Where are you calling from tonight? I'm actually calling from the northern part of the county, from Aventura. Fantastic. And you're part of Florida Children's Movement, correct? Yes, sir. Outstanding. So tell me, what's the website for Florida Children's Movement and, if any, a Twitter account? Absolutely. The website for the movement is www.childrensmovementflorida.org. And our uh, our Twitter uh, account is at ChildMovementFL. Okay, at ChildMovementFL. Yes, so sir. tell me a little bit about Children's Movement Florida. Absolutely. So before I tell you what we are, I'm going to tell you sort of why we are. Uh, That's great. We love to we, hear the why. We, we live in a state where more than 430,000 children don't have access to health insurance, where more than 40% of the third graders in, in public school aren't reading at even minimally proficient levels, and where one in six children is a child with a special need, and most of those special needs are going undetected, undetected until the child is six or seven. And what the children's movement is trying to do is bring awareness to the importance of the first five years in children's lives and begin to influence public policy that will ensure greater investment in those first five years. Uh, the challenge we deal with so often is that public education reform is addressed when children are in the third grade or the sixth grade or the 11th grade. And what the movement is trying to do is ensure that children are getting to formal school, are getting to kindergarten, ready and able to learn and that we're not we're not trying our best to catch kids up, but we're making sure that they're ready and able once they're once they're getting to the the doors of kindergarten. That's that's really really important, and and I'm glad that you guys are doing that. I think that the education system in the state is way too geared on trying to catch up 
and teach to these tests that are standardized instead of focusing on the time when children really, really learn quickly, which is when they're quite young. Absolutely. I mean, 90% of the cognitive development of a child occurs before they even enter formal school. And we as a state spend $2 billion on education remediation. So, so much of what we should be doing around education reform is just uh, investing early and upfront. So tell me your Philanthro story, your story of being part of Philanthro Fest. Well, absolutely. Well, I would say, first of all, a wise man once told me, uh, a very wise man in Miami said, that the greatest power in our community is the power to convene. And today, and, and what she's doing with Philanthropist is really, it, it's convening. It's bringing people together from the community, from the nonprofit community, from the business community to understand what philanthropy means in Miami-Dade. And our story and, and what, what Philanthropist has allowed us to do is, is share one of the campaigns that we've launched in the last couple of months, which we're calling Lessons from a Kid. Uh, I'm a father of two, and I'm always amazed by what lessons my daughters are teaching me every day, where most people would assume, you know, we're supposed to be teaching our children. And what we've been using uh, is social media for, 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 for individuals to send in their 100-character lesson about what lesson their, their child has taught them, an image that associates with that lesson. And then we're creating beautiful imagery that we're posting on Facebook and on Pinterest. And, and the longer-term goal is to create a quilt that people can come to uh, and gain inspiration, gain uh, sort of laughter, joy, uh, and gain meaning from from the lessons that folks are learning from their children. And Estea and, and Philanthropist have allowed us to not only share that campaign, but share some of the skills and tactics we've learned around social media um, through the Institute. And we're well, going to have... Um... That's, that's really cool. i got to tell our audience first. You have got to see their, their Twitter account. I mean, these pictures are really neat. They're inspirational. And I'm a big fan of Pinterest. Um, I've actually got Pinterest on our www.onlyinmiamishow.com website, like all the way down the bottom right-hand side, because I really have gotten into Pinterest. And it's great to see that you guys are taking advantage of one of the most exciting newer channels in social media to, uh, to broadcast your movement. Yeah, they've been really doing a fabulous job. And on Wednesday, we're going to have John Knight from the Children's Movement of Florida that's headed some of their online uh, digital engagement efforts, not only just with the Lessons from a Kid campaign, but also with their Give Miami campaign. So he's going to be sharing some pearls of wisdom from their efforts and what they've learned along the way with our audience over at the Digital Media Institute as well. So we thank you, Vance, and the, the Children's Movement of South Florida for being involved and really helping get more people involved with early education and also getting onto the digital media uh, sort of bandwagon and really showing folks how it could really benefit your organization and your cause. Well, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. Thank you very much for calling tonight, Vance. And let me just tell the audience, you, I'm, this is Grant. You can call, uh, find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern. And I would encourage that because I'm posting some of these incredible pictures, and I'm about to share the Children's Movement's uh, uh, Pinterest account. And if you're not on Pinterest, this would be a great time to start. It's a fantastic little service that allows you to share photographs. It's really a photo sharing service. Not so different than Instagram, but organized very differently. So let's move along. I think we have Lori on the line. Is that correct? Yes, I'm here. Good evening. Good evening, Lori. Uh, what charity are you calling from and where are you calling from? I am calling uh, from Miami and... Um, I am calling on behalf of Mujer 
which is a nonprofit organization located in Southern Dade County in Homestead. All righty. And what does Mujer do in Homestead? Mujer is a nonprofit organization that operates one of only two certified rape crisis centers in Miami-Dade County, and we provide comprehensive social service assistance to victims of domestic violence and sexual assault um, in a one-stop setting. We provide services to women, to men, to children, um, and have been providing services uh, since the 90s. So tell me a little bit about your involvement with PhilanthroFest and your Philanthro story. All right. We um, at Mujer participated in PhilanthroFest last year for the first time. Um, we were definitely very, very excited in uh, getting involved um, and being able to uh, really just uh, meet and, and work with other nonprofits and um, look at the potential for uh, partnerships in the future um, to be able just to talk with them to get to know uh, what type of projects they're working on and what it is that they're doing in our community and also uh, let them know about our current projects and our interests. Um, what was uh, just really interesting about our experience and what I'm just very interested in sharing with you all um, is basically that we understood the forum of Philanthropist to be one where we could connect with nonprofits, um, also with potential donors, um, and work on that end of, of the, I guess, nonprofit realm. But what was very, very um, interesting to us was the fact that there were so many people in the community who came up to our table and to our booth um, and disclosed to us that they had experienced domestic violence or sexual violence um, right there in that forum in, in just the middle of, of this festival. Um, and it really demonstrates the point to, to us that um, every survivor needs a voice. Um, and we want to continue to be a resource in our community for survivors to have a voice. Um, and it was important to many people to be able to uh, come to us right then and there and tell us a little bit about their story, where we were able to offer resources to them, to provide them with information, to provide them with referrals to other nonprofits, um, just outside of what we um, had originally expected we would encounter at, at this just um, at this amazing event. Um, and that was really, really the most impressive part uh, for us was just that it did offer such an amazing uh, space for, for survivors to come and, and speak with us. That's fantastic. So I think that goes along with what Vance said about the power to convene, that Absolutely. you guys actually found other people who really identified with your organization because they'd been through the kind of experience that you're looking to counsel. Absolutely. This this is an issue that, that certainly affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. Um, and it's an issue um, that, that I don't think we can take um, too seriously, because without your safety and your health, you really have nothing. And we certainly recognize that at MUHA, and we strive to provide the highest quality of services um, in the most expeditious manner and the most comprehensive way to every member of our community who is in need of services. And we are very, very grateful to Philanthropists for allowing us another forum to be available to members of our community. Thank you so much for calling in, Lori. And I'm told Thanks that your so website is www.mujerfla.com. 
org, right? That's correct. And yes. it stands for Mujer is actually an acronym for Men and Women United in Justice, Education, and Reform. That's correct. Love it. Thank you so much for calling on the uh, calling the show tonight. Thank this, you again for having me. Oh, pleasure. This is the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. We've got time for just one more phone call tonight. I understand we have Michelle from Social Swag on the phone. Hi, Grant. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for calling into the show tonight. Thank you for allowing me to be on it. How are you? Hello, Michelle. I'm doing Hi, great. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your charity. Um, well, I don't have a charity per se. I'm a for-profit that helps nonprofits um, with marketing and advertising. But I'm calling now to kind of share about the Social Good Summit, which is going to be the 16th and the 17th at the Lightbox in Wynwood. And um, the reason that we even exist now for our second year is because of Philanthropist and because of me Googling philanthropy in Southern Florida and finding the website and tweeting at all of the people that are on the board. <laughs> wow. Well, we do love to connect people, and that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being a sort of platform for people to connect, not just with one another, but with organizations. And this was just another great example of how we're building community and building community by allowing folks to reach out to Philanthropists and getting them in touch with other people that share their passions and values. And Michelle's doing such a fabulous job in the community and with the Social Good Summit. And that's going to be in the fall, right, in September? Yeah, it's going to be September 16th and 17th. And right now we're in talks with the mayor's office and he might potentially come speak at the summit, which is big, big news. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. We we really have a, a great sort of support from our government officials here with Philanthropist in particular. We've had the support of Mayor Regalado since the start, also from Mayor Jimenez and Mayor Gilbert over in Miami Gardens. So when, you know, it's been a great experience being able to work with our elected officials and also some of our state and state representatives. So I definitely urge you to, as you continue to build the Social Good Summit. You know, we're definitely on board with Philanthropist. Any way that we could help you all out, um, we're definitely excited to get more people involved in the social movement for social good. So one reason why I kind of wanted to call in tonight, aside from supporting what both of you do, and you guys are both so awesome, and you're my heroes. Oh, thank um, you. Don't, don't tell us that on the, the air. Come on. This... <laughs> you're going to make us blush, and everybody's going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other reason why I wanted to call in tonight is because... Um, I believe that social good only exists because of community and and in the midst of community. Social good can't exist with a whole bunch of people make the, making hierarchy decisions. And I think the one thing that, Estria, that you've done that's just so effective is that you've made Philanthropist into an all-year-long community engagement project. And so on the lines and, and, and in the shadow of, of greats such as yourself, um, I would really love anyone that's interested in becoming a part of this year's summit if they want to um, give some advice on things that we need to talk about in Miami or things that like need to be highlighted or potentially are interested in coming and talking about what they want to talk about for maybe a couple minutes. Like I really want the summit this year to have a platform that's very open to the community to share and to be a part of. So um, that's part of the reason why I'm also calling this evening. Well, uh, you know, I think it's very important to have open discussion and, and to flatten out some of the hierarchies uh, that exist out there. Um, 
it's very difficult for people to achieve the things they're looking for in a hierarchy. Typically in business, um, companies start out entrepreneurial, and it's, it's as I like to call it, it's the, uh, the, the commando phase. It's right. like there's people that are like ultra-talented, ultra-skilled, ultra-smart. But once they're done breaking ground, storming the beach, they're done. They kind of want to move on and do something else exciting. And, and then you have the second wave of business, which is hierarchical. It's very, uh, you know, you have somebody at the top, somebody at the bottom. It's like the shock troops. Uh, they go out there and they occupy everything. They roll in. <laughs> That's business. I'm saying in business. Um, but what it, what it means is it's like you start off and everybody is on the same footing. And then all of a sudden, like once you have an organization, everything gets very hierarchical. And one of the most important things about Philanthrofest to me is that it's not that way. Anybody can contribute. Uh, it's it's a very much an open-sourced, crowdsourced model of creating an event that brings people together. And that's why it brings people together because right. everybody is allowed to contribute. Everybody is invited to contribute. And there's not this tremendous administrative burden of having a very hierarchical organization that's sucking up a lot of the donated money and time in human resources and, you know, vacations and pampering. And it's very much a group of people that are looking to have, you know, an event and produce something that the, everything that comes in is on the stage for the public. I mean, really, it's not like donating to the Red Cross where you know that, you know, 20 or 30 percent of what you spend or 40 percent is administrative costs. There's huge administrative costs for these other charities, whereas Philanthrofest, everything you donate basically is on the page, so to speak. Am I right? I mean, you guys are not like, you know, out there, you know, mostly soliciting. You guys are really, really putting everything out there for the community and making sure that everybody who's involved has the chance to contribute. Yeah, really what the magic formula here is really creating collaboration so that everybody has an opportunity to pitch in. Everybody has an opportunity to take the stage and really share what it is that they're doing and having folks that could come on board and contribute in different ways and really share their talent. There's so many folks within the community that are, are willing to give either time, talent, or treasure. And we're really just leveraging those opportunities to build great collaborations for our Miami. And, you know, Philanthrofest is welcome to everybody's participation. And if you're interested in joining the cause and being a volunteer, interning with us, sponsoring us, all of that information is available online over on our website. And part of the really exciting part is sort of meeting all of these other people that are like-minded as well, that want to be part of something greater. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thanks, guys. I love what you're doing. I'm so supportive. And I will say, as a volunteer, like everybody needs to get involved because it looks beautiful on a page, but it changes your life when you get your hands dirty. And I suggest and encourage everyone to get involved on the ground level with Philanthrofest because, I mean, you're awesome, Estrita, and what you're doing is awesome, but it's so much bigger than you and, 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 and us, and it's just going to continue, I believe, to grow and grow and grow. That's what we're looking forward to. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, guys. And Estrella, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been my pleasure having you here. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Grant. It's always such a treat to spend some time with you. 
Oh, thank you. Well, this is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and listening to this very special Venezuela SOS report. You can find the complete video from last night's Venezuela SOS special at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, along with all of the content here. This is the Only in Miami show, and we're every Monday night from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find us online on Twitter at Grant Stern or www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Please join us next week when we'll have special guest Congressman Joe Garcia.